Hey everyone, it's Monday. So we've got another episode of the Road to Revenue series. We took over the Breakfast of Champions Millionaire Club for BYOQ. You bring the questions and I'll bring the answers. We talked about the 520 rule and how do the never vows in your life affect you in the long run? Know your daily practices. Tweet me at David Meltzer, your favorite takeaway from today's episode, and check the show notes to see how you can text me or email me at any time. This is Entrepreneurs the Playbook. Uh, what's been, uh, I know we always do the, the takeaway of the week. So, what's been your takeaway of the week this week? Uh, takeaway for the week to, to me is about ignorant arrogance uh, and understanding that, you know, I used to think people who manipulate you. Uh, you know, we're in a more uh, scarce mindset where the arrogant, uh, ignorant people, uh, but it's truly a lot of times the people who love us the most. And the reason it is, is that the people who love us the most are most fearful. The biggest fears of their life is if you love someone like your child, it's the greatest fear of your life that something happens to your child. So what happens is through that arrogant ignorance, the people who love us most make bad decisions for us and think they know what's best uh, for us. And uh, I think that that to me is the biggest takeaway to look and see uh, that I'm just because someone loves me doesn't mean they give me great advice. Uh, anyway, we'll get started. I got some questions online. Let's go ahead Hit your plus button, add people in. Let's get the questions rocking and rolling. We have them loading up here uh, online. Is the ego ever helpful or does it always get in our way? Um, the ego can be helpful. Uh, the ego has the primal fears of the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, all those fear, feed, flight, or the fornication uh, that causes us to create interference between us and that unbelievable, omniscient, all-powerful source that we have. But the ego can be helpful because one, it protects us, right? It tells us not to jump off the building because we might end our existence. But even more importantly, it can motivate us. Uh, motivation gets us up, gets us back up, gets us started, gets us restarted. And in order to be inspired, sometimes you need to be motivated and the ego is a great motivator it's a horrible inspire because it will suck your soul dry of energy uh, but it will give you a boost it's the ultimate caffeine the ego it will edge goodness out of your life ego uh, but it does have the capacity uh, to get us started get us restarted back up and utilize that uh, to transfer into and clear that interference and allow us to live inspired connected to and through that great source. Uh, so thank you, Jake. You got a, a question there, Jake, now? Yes. Uh, thank you so much, Dave. We've got a question from Stan from online. His question is, what is entrepreneurship and why is it important in today's market? Um, entrepreneurship uh, is something that I'm stressing highly. And I know that uh, for years I've been pushing entrepreneurship, but the landscape has changed. Uh, we can have the same exact experience that we're looking for as an entrepreneur with no risk. Uh, there's so many big companies out there that have tremendous resources, but now provide us the freedom within the context of an organization with the stability of that organization to go ahead and be creative and curious, to allow us to work remotely, to be on our own time schedule, all the things that people want for being entrepreneurs, we now can get as 
intrapreneurs, except for we can get equity in a company that already is successful. We can get a big salary expense account, commissions and bonuses, uh, and most importantly, benefits. Uh, sometimes the benefits even outweigh the amount of money that we make and being able to today have the security of uh, being an employee, but also the freedom of being an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurship uh, today is growing. Uh, and I highly suggest, especially if you're younger, that it's a great springboard to being an entrepreneur, to being able to provide you security as you're starting out, or if you have a family and you're not willing to risk it all, it's a great way to expand and to grow within a secure environment. And because of the landscape today of the freedoms that are provided with corporations, big companies to be able to work remotely, to be able to work on your own time frame, to be able to have your kids around while you're working, all these different things have changed the value of working for a big organization comparatively to a decade ago, uh, when a lot of those freedoms uh, did not exist, you were always trading off security for freedom. That's not true today. Uh, and so uh, we could uh, really give a good look at being an entrepreneur. Thank you, Dave. We're going to uh, transition into asking a question here on Clubhouse. Uh, Limitless Sigga, welcome to the Clubhouse. If you can please unmute yourself and feel free to ask your question. Thank you, Jake. Thank you so much. I always love this session on Fridays. I mean, of course, I always love breakfast with champions. Thank you so much for having me on stage. I'm not sure if Glenn is on. Glenn, this is your neighbor from Frankfurt, Kentucky. Listen, David, I just reshared your post on Facebook. What I love um, that you shared earlier, you're either ignorant, humble, unhappy, or you're ignorant, arrogant, and unhappy. You choose which one. I really want you to delve into that for this Breakfast of Champions table this morning because I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sega. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I touched on that earlier because that's my takeaway for the week. Um, but I think it falls under the context of being more interested than interesting. Uh, those people that are more interested than interesting realize that they don't know what they don't know. Uh, and the more we are and seek uh, what we want, the more we realize we don't know what we don't know. And out of fear or arrogance, uh, what we do is we pretend to know what we don't know. Uh, there is no certainty. In fact, if anybody's certain about something that's going to happen tomorrow, let me know. I know how to make billions of dollars if you can be certain about anything tomorrow. Uh, and I'll give mine to charity. You can keep yours. But there is no certainty other than the fact we don't know what we don't know. If you are humble about that, you can enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent pursuit of your potential. There is no outcome to attach your emotions to. Therefore, it creates less resistance in your life. Therefore, it allows you to clear the interference that exists between you and the omniscient. In its context, just the fact that you're humble about not knowing what you don't know reaffirms one of the most powerful things that I have in my faith. And that's that there is an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source 
that cares about me as much as I care about my own children. The difference is, is that as much as I care about my children and I'm still fearful for my children because I don't know what I don't know. And so the more arrogant I am, the more I'll project that onto my children and make them feel inadequate, separate, inferior, or superior because of my own fears, instead of being humble and saying, hold on a second, have faith. There is an all-powerful, all-knowing, unbelievable source that cares the same about me that I care about those children. Therefore, I can allow things to happen while I'm enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of my own potential without attaching my emotions to an outcome. If you're attaching your emotions to an outcome, you're actually utilizing arrogance of ignorance. When you attach your emotions to an outcome, you're actually saying, I know exactly what I want in the future. How could that be possible? I could think of 16 different things that could happen that we could change where you want to be tomorrow. Uh, you know, your appetite changes in a very frequent manner. You don't like the same food every day. Maybe a few of us do, but you don't like to eat the same thing every day. So why do you think that you're going to want the same thing tomorrow that you want today? The reason that we don't is because we learn about what it was that we want and we go ahead and we move from there. And the way that we're indicated that we're moving is through struggles, pain, setbacks, failures, et cetera, so that we know that pain itself is an indicator that we have a better place to be. See, faith in that ignorant humility allows us to know that as we're traveling and doing the best that we can, learning lessons and having fun, that we're going to end up in a better place. If you have ignorant arrogance, then you know already where you want to be. You know how to get there. And all you're going to do is end up with struggles, failures, setbacks, pain. And you're going to wonder why you keep on having the same exact result, even though you're doing your best, trying to learn lessons and trying to have fun. Instead, go ahead, do your best, learn lessons, have fun, live in ignorant humility, not ignorant arrogance. Thank you so much, Siga. I'm going to go ahead, uh, Jake, and take a question online, if that's all right. What do you do when you need a mental reset? Um, well, mental reset uh, shouldn't be needed, right? It's a daily activity uh, to reset yourself, to plateau and grow. You should not allow things to accumulate in aggregate where there's an entire rewiring needed. Uh, you know, when we are growing and learning, you may have to initially have a reset, a rewiring. You may need to go ahead and try and realize and identify the genetic and energetic break in the chain that you've inherited. And that reset would be only once, once you institute the five daily practices of knowing what I want, who can help me, who I can help, how am I gonna get this done? And then through the what, the who, and the how, prioritizing what is aligned with synergistic or supplementary to your own what, who, and how, and then applying that why. There's a daily mental reset that occurs. That's why I unwind every night to put my mind, body, and soul in a position to plateau and grow the next day, not to start the day at the exact same place that I started yesterday, but to plateau and grow, to learn the lessons from yesterday, apply them and adapt them, and do a daily rewiring of myself. A reset occurs every night at 9 a.m. when I'm rewiring and starting my day. I always say, my tomorrow starts tonight.
My tomorrow starts at 9 p.m. when I assess the situation to put myself into a recovery position physically, as well as an accessible position subconsciously and unconsciously to take the extraordinary downloads so that tomorrow at 4 a.m. when I arise, I will be at a higher level, a higher baseline, codifying that baseline to make sure that every time I fall off or down or away from that baseline that I stop, I reset myself immediately instead of spending days, weeks, months, and years in ego-based consciousness, creating interference, void shortages, obstacles of what I want. Instead, I simply stop. I breathe, get to neutral or center, and then roll in the what, the who, the how, and the now, knowing exactly what to do now that will have the best efficient, effective, and statistically successful result that I'm looking for by being productive, by providing value to others, by being accessible, by accessing all the things that I want and being accessible to others and grateful finding the light, the love in the lessons and everything I do. I get to do everything. I don't have to do anything. Uh, this is Dave Meltzer. Jake, why don't you reset the room? It's asked me anything. Uh, BYOQ, please bring the questions. I will do my best to bring the answers and the value that I can. Go ahead, Jake. Thank you, Dave. We are here on BYOQ. Uh, and just a reminder, as you mentioned, your tomorrow starts today. Uh, that is a lesson for everybody. So thank you so much. We are here on the Breakfast with Champions, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time edition here on the BYOQ. If you'd like to ask a question, please feel free to back channel me um, and we will aim to bring you up. We still got about 45 minutes here. Dave's currently live on his training that he's been doing for over 20 years on Instagram, on LinkedIn. So basically everywhere, we'd love to answer any questions that you have. So next up, Dave, we'll take a question from Instagram. And the question is, can you please explain the idea of lowering the bar and why is it so important? Yeah, we talked about ego being a motivator and understanding the difference between motivation and inspiration, right? Motivation gets us up, gets us started. Inspiration gets us there. And so to get us started, one of the things that people do is they create too much uh, too early. And so I always utilize the lower the bar strategy that, you know, if I'm going to go ahead and change, you know, my working out routine, the first day I'm going to tell myself at minimum, I'm going to put my shoes on. I'm going to put my running shoes on at minimum. And what happens is when we start the movement, the action, we start momentum. And all of a sudden we're like, you know what? I'm going to put all my running clothes on. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead, jog to the end of the back block and back. And I'll tell you this about lowering the bar. It's very uh, analogous to working out or, or jogging or anything that you may do. The first five minutes suck. Uh, and I know that. And I have just utilized that. Uh, by lowering the bar so I can get moving, create momentum, get through the first five minutes. I will tell you, there's been thousands of workouts I've done in my life where I didn't want to do it for the first five minutes, but there's been zero that I finished and said, gosh, I'm so sorry I did that. And so if we can reprogram ourselves to understand how we create activities, activities we get paid for, activities we don't get paid for, by lowering the bar, just getting started from Einstein on, everyone says nothing happened until it moves. 
in order to get things moving, you have to lower the resistance, lower the bar, pick a minimum that you want to do, watch and allow that momentum and energy to compound on itself, aggregate and accelerate on itself, and watch how much productivity, accessibility, and gratitude you have in every single day, providing more value, receiving more value. Uh, it's the easiest way to get started. You don't have to use the soul-sucking ego to get you started with fear. You can just simply lower the bar, create minimums for yourself, prioritize by your non-negotiables, mine being health number one. You know, if you are, are healthy, you get millions of wishes a day. If you're unhealthy, you only have one wish. Uh, to my family. So I have minimums every day of the amount of time I spend with my wife, my 11-year-old, my three teenage daughters, my mom. Minimums amount to get me started, lowering the bar, allowing me to create momentum and habits to allow the conscious continuum to work in my favor, not against me with bad habits that work outside of what I want, creating resistance voids and shortages. So lower the bar, get started, use that methodology, not fear, in order to get started to get restarted, to get up and get back up, get things moving, create the momentum in your life that you want. Create minimums for yourself and prioritize by your non-negotiables. Thank you so much, Dave. We've got a question here on Clubhouse uh, from the incredible Tina Wilson. So Tina, if you can please unmute yourself and welcome to the room. Hello, hello. Thank you for pulling me up. Sorry, I'm out of breath. So, David, amazing stuff. I heard you on your Instagram room a few weeks ago when you had been a bear and you did such great with her, great work with her. I met you in New York. My question today, I am a professional health and wellness coach, everything to do with fitness, and I'm always helping people, helping, helping. I actually took a position at a studio to help the studio, and my issue is... I always say your vibe is your tribe, the people you surround yourself with. And I find that most of the time, I'm the person with the most energy, the most everything. And some people are sucking me of energy. And I know you have to let go of people. So my question to you is how do you nicely let go of people? Like there's people who call me every single day and it's like, oh, I don't have time for this. And I want to go to the next level. So I saw your bio there. You said you empower people. Uh, to get to the next level. So I love your advice on that. Thank you. I'm Tina. Thank you, Tina. And this is a great one. I created what I call the great chain of feeding. Uh, and, you know, about 80% of our time, whether it's personally or professionally, is spent, believe it or not, on people that bleed us or opportunity that bleeds us. Uh, and what we have to do is utilize that great chain of feeding to one, identify those people that are feeding us so that we can maximize the resources that we put into those people because our natural inclination is to just assume those people that are feeding us don't need the resources, attention and intention that we're giving the people that bleed us. Uh, and so number one, you need to identify who's feeding at what degree they're feeding you and who's bleeding you and to what degree they're bleeding you. Now, if somebody's feeding you, that's where our resources go. If they're not feeding you within certain spectrum of value, allow them to fall away. And there's seven mechanisms, practical mechanisms that you can use to allow people to fall away. Number one, you can utilize time. Uh, so you can be very firm. I have a 520 rule and my 520 rule is I will give anyone five minutes of my time and for, for a phone call or 20 minutes of time. If you come visit me and want to meet me in person, anyone, 
I, I won't go to you because then again, right, I'm putting my resources and time in the wrong place by traveling to people that may or may not be bleeding me or seeking opportunities I may or may not want to know. But if somebody's willing to give that effort, the 520 rule is a great way to do that. But the other side of it is just utilizing the attention and intention of others that bleed us. Usually we can allow them to fall away uh, by just taking and knowing that they don't have consistent, persistent behavior and that you can use time itself to allow someone to fall away because there's so many other distractions. Uh, and so I will utilize if, uh, you know, someone isn't feeding me, but they're not necessarily bleeding me. I'm utilizing time to my advantage. So I'll go ahead and say, look, I'm happy to give you five minutes of time to help you. Give me a call on the weekend, you know, at 7 a.m. Pacific time. It's amazing about 90% of the people that are either not feeding me or even bleeding me, 90% won't ever call it 7 a.m. Pacific time because there's so many distractions, noise, et cetera, and they are a suck of my energy and time. So they don't know how to utilize time correctly. So for whatever reason, they don't call and they fall away. Uh, you have to be cognizant of your time and energy, attention and in intention. And it's so hard to shift the paradigm, either personally or professionally, by giving those people or those opportunities the resources that they need, the ones that are already going well. I use it as an example real quick, very large client oil and gas company that I have. And they actually had a $2 billion client that they had very few resources in. And the reason I was told is because they had been a client for so long, they really didn't need too much from them. And then they had a new client that was doing about $20 million with them. And they were spending an extraordinary amount of time and resources to build that opportunity. And I simply suggested, why don't you shift the paradigm and go ahead and spend as much resources on the guys that are giving you $2 billion in business and turn that into $4 billion with low maintenance and understanding and alignment and go ahead and fire the company. You may you know, lose the $20 million of revenue to gain $2 billion. We do the same thing energetically in our lives. We don't use time effectively to allow people to fall away or if they bleed us in a tremendous way, you just fire them. You let them know, hey, this isn't about you. This is about me. And whether it's on an economic side or an emotional side, I don't like the way that I feel when I'm around you. I have to get through this. And so I'm not going to be hanging out with you anymore, calling you back or doing business with you, whatever it is. But take accountability that it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has, I mean, them, it has to do with you. And you will find that you are maximizing your productivity, accessibility, and gratitude by surrounding yourself with the greatest people, the greatest ideas, finding people who sit in the situation that you want to be in, allow them to feed you, give you directions to where you want to be. Does that sound fair? Pow, 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 pow. That was wonderful. I am loving the 520 rule. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. All right. Thank, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, hey, Vernita Adele tapping in. I'm like, David Meltzer. Love it. Love it. Hey, Jake. Um, real quick, I just wanted to ask if you could expand upon, because I think you touched on something super important. And I, I was actually having a conversation this morning about how important managing and protecting our time is time is our one like non-renewable resource but there's this piece around the people pleasing i know you didn't use that word specifically but um when you talk about letting go of those that no longer serve us that maybe time sucks that are draining your energy 
but then we feel this, we might feel a level of guilt or we might feel a, a level of people pleasing. How do we move past that so we can really show up and take care of ourselves and make the most of our time? Bernita Dunn speaking. Oh, that's a beautiful question. Thank you, Bernita. Um, so for me, it stems from an old, uh, an old uh, paradigm in my life, one that my mom taught me. The more I give, the more I receive. And so I went through a period of my life where giving was a negotiation or a trade. Uh, but I found within my energetic and genetic inheritance that I love to please people uh, out of my own belief that doing good uh, and helping others uh, would allow me to be happier, to have more, et cetera. But my mom and I, you know, we had this conversation this last weekend about there's a first step uh, to giving and it's creating a plan of receiving. And when we are pleased, because we give meaning to everything that we, we see and that everything stems from within, we cannot find outside of us what we can't find inside of us. So we need to please ourselves. What does that mean? That number one, we have to identify what we have. We have to appreciate it. And so many people take for granted what other people are wishing for. Never before as a human existence have we seen this more true than just that bit core context of breath. I mean, how many of us before the pandemic took for granted that we were breathing? But all of a sudden, we all on Earth could not take for granted human existence anymore. And breath became an invaluable asset of ours. And we started to appreciate it. So when we can identify what we have, not take for granted what other people are wishing for, when we can identify what we have and appreciate it, it adds value to it. And by adding value, it expands, right? When we add value to something, it expands. So we now can acknowledge what we have, by giving it away, pleasing others by giving it away, but our vessel is bigger. Now we need to ask again. We need to ask for what we want, who can help us, who we can help. How are we gonna get this done? Prioritizing what will expand and accelerate and grow us the most, why? Because we want to appreciate that, acknowledge it by giving it away, acquire the knowledge of what we have. The only way you can acquire the knowledge of what you have is to give it away. And then we have an even bigger vessel to fill with the what, the who, the how, and the now, and constantly applying our why to that. If you are a people pleaser, that's terrific because you got half the game done. You're just pleasing the wrong person because you can't give what you don't have. So shift your own perspective and attention and intention of who you want to please in your life. Do not think about it as being selfish or narcissistic that you're pleasing yourself because if you think about pleasing yourself and you only want to keep it for yourself in some scarce perspective, then yes, you got the wrong idea. But the, the irony of people who are people pleasers, they already have half the game done because their full intention and attention is giving back and acknowledging what they have by giving it away. So you're the best person to please yourself because the more you please yourself, the more you give it away because you will always appreciate what you have. You won't take for granted what other people are wishing for. You always acknowledge what you have by giving it away. So I want every people pleaser out there right now to start pleasing the right people, which is you with that great intention of giving it all away and appreciating it. This is David Meltzer. Hopefully, Bernita, that answered your question. Yes, that was awesome. And I'm double dipping on Instagram with you. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I gave you a thumbs up there as well. Uh, all right. I got a question online, Jake. Is that all right? That's all right. All you, Dave. All right, here we go. It said yesterday on your IG live, you discussed 
quote unquote, never vows. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I, uh, I got three teenage daughters and I can't stand never vows. Uh, we all have done them, right? I'm never going to go to this school. I'll never do that. I'll never, you know, my wife is uh, a testament to the never vows because I knew my wife in the fourth grade, had my best friend ask her to go steady in the sixth grade at sixth grade camp. She said, no, tell him to ask me himself and embarrassed me. So I threw an egg at her and I teased her in middle school and she hated me. And she always said, oh, I'll never, ever marry a guy like that. I'll never, you know, look at her now. Never vows help me get the ultimate vow that I wanted is marrying the best and perfect woman for me. Uh, and so I understand never vows. What I want people to do is to think about that when you pay attention and give intention to what other people think, when you pay attention and give intention to what you don't want, when you pay attention and give intention to what's missing in your life, these are never vows. And the universe will respond to your vows, I promise you. So you'll get exactly what everybody else wants for you. And you'll end up resenting them, feeling guilty. You'll end up separate and inferior because you have now manifested what other people want for you because you don't know your what, your who, and your how. You haven't applied the now or the why. And if you focus in on what's missing in your life, you're going to get what's more missing. I see this economically in all the people I coach so much. It's so easy for me to transfer somebody's own economic position by just shifting their never vows and creating the understanding of the mathematical equation of faith is the same as a mathematical equation. What you pay attention to and what you give intention to equals the coincidences that you want. So stop having your never vows. It will give you exactly what you want. And the worst one is we put our never vows in what we don't want, and then we get exactly what we don't want. Like, I don't ever want to marry someone like David Meltzer, and boom, you got to spend the rest of your life with me. Are you kidding? Stop doing your never vows. Stop it. Go ahead and let's create faith. Let's pay attention to what we want, who can help us, who we can help, how we're going to get it done and import and prioritize them correctly by that importance and continually and constantly, consistently apply our why, that inspiration, clearing the negative, clearing the interference that we create with these never vows. Go ahead, write out your never vows and cancel those. Cancel those and create the vows that you want. Utilize the mathematical equation of faith and luck that I'm going to pay attention to and give intention to the coincidences I want by knowing my what, my who, my how, my now, and applying my why every single day as a daily practice. Not being afraid of learning, not being afraid of changing my mind, not being afraid of people laughing at me, scoffing at me and making fun of me, knowing that eventually they'll catch up to me and applaud me. If they're laughing at you, scoffing at you, making fun of you, they just haven't caught up to you yet. They will, I promise you. Did you know it took Einstein 10 years after he created the theory of relativity, right? Making him the icon for genius, genius being an expression of God. Do you realize that it took the entire physics community, the most well-known physicists, metaphysicists, the most well-known academic, intelligent human being ever to live, Einstein. It took 10 years of being ostracized by his own physics community worldwide, 10 years after he created the theory of relativity for them to accept it. They had to catch up. 
They had to catch up. So when people are behind you and your frequency or, or vibration is too much for them, they don't have an awareness in order to assimilate the information that you've already assimilated. They're going to laugh at you, scoff at you, make fun of you but they will catch up and applaud you. So I want everyone to get rid of the never vows. I want you to utilize the mathematical equation of faith, manifest everything that you desire rapidly and accurately. Stop focusing on what other people want, what's missing and what you don't want. Let's put our attention and intention into the coincidences of the what, the who, the how, the now. Let's all apply our why, clear the interference between the omniscient, all powerful and ourselves. Allow it to come through you with appreciation to expand it and then acknowledge it, acquire the knowledge by giving it away. This is Dave Meltzer. I'm fired up here on the Breakfast of Champions. Why don't you reset the room? We're about halfway done, Jakey Bakey. Let's do it, Dave, and let's go. I love your energy this morning, as always, Dave. Okay, resetting the room and uh, quickly uh, rephrasing what you said, Dave, and, and saying it again, The uh, to write out your never vows and cancel those. So let's all write out our never vows and cancel those. Quickly resetting the room. This is 6 a.m. Pacific time, Breakfast with Champions. Happy Friday, everybody. We're here at the BYOQ with David Meltzer. Uh, feel free to aim to raise your hand, and we will aim to bring you up to ask a question here. David's currently live on his Friday trainings he's been doing for over 20 years um, and then of course if you want to reach out to Dave feel free to email him it's david at dmelter.com david at dmelter.com incredible questions so far so next up we'll bring up Justin Conakow to ask a question here on Clubhouse so Justin if you can please unmute yourself and welcome to the room thank you Jakey Bakey and Dave had so much fun chopping it up on your podcast with you and the boys this year man you're a constant driver and you inspired me so everybody go check out the podcast as well so, Thank Mr. You. Dave, my man, my question for you is going back to your virtual platform, right? You talked about how we all work virtually nowadays, and there's a big shift happening in the world. I agree a thousand percent. That's actually something we are working on is providing a solid virtual platform to support our people. But I guess my question for you is our culture obviously stems from leadership. And our office is a big part of that, but we want to scale culture virtually. So I guess, what do you think the key components are that I need to build as a foundation for if I was a global brand to feel that people are in a community and supported when they don't can't come to the actual physical office? Yeah, so engagement's the critical component of culture. Uh, I think mathematically, a lot of people spend so much time on the content of creating a culture by having mission statements and you know all types of emails and and communications going out but they're missing the point that what you say doesn't matter if nobody's engaged in it and so what we want to really focus in on just like in building a brand is building a community to build a community we need engagement we need people to communicate effectively with one another in order to share whatever it is we put through this virtual culture machine. Uh, and so I love to build that platform based on engagement, uh, you know, just on the productivity side, forget the cultural alignment side. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary how disengaged people are. They're disengaged in their activity they get paid for. They're disengaged in the activity they don't get paid for. They're disengaged in the activity they have planned. They're disengaged in the activity they don't have planned. They're disengaged in their sleep. And so what we want to do with this virtual platform is actually utilize the components of efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success of why Zoom or StreamYard or whatever we use is so popular. 
It's because we now have such efficiency and ease, not dis-ease, but ease in that effective communication in engaging with one another. So I would create a schedule, consistent schedule in order to prioritize engagement and then once I establish that engagement, I do it in, you know, to give some pragmatic uh, tools, I do it by having a Monday morning meeting every meet, every week at the same time, and that that allows people to schedule around it. Why? Because it becomes a priority. See, when people do or don't do things is because it is or isn't a priority. When someone doesn't come to your birthday party, all they're telling you is they prioritize something else, some other activity over coming to your birthday party. So there's no need to be offended and there's absolutely no need to justify why you're not coming. Right. I drive my family crazy when I don't show up to family events because they'll ask me, well, why can't you come? I said it's irrelevant. And they're like, you're such a D word, <laughs> you know, but I'm not. Why do I have to explain to you that I'm prioritizing something else? It's obvious to me. I'm not coming to your activity because I'm prioritizing another activity and my own values have nothing to do with yours. And so please don't have a need to be offended because I'm not choosing your activity. And then when we can understand that, that is where we start utilizing our time effectively. That's how we start being productive, accessible, and gracious in what we do. Uh, Justin, great, great question. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for joining, Justin. All right, Dave, we've got a question here online uh, on the training. The question is, what lessons have you learned about being a business coach? And what has been the most important thing uh, that you've learned and taught people from being a business coach? Uh, you know, it, it's so interesting. And, you know, a business coach to me is somebody that makes you money. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, you know, those who listen to me all the time, too many business coaches are, you know, take the purple dinosaur approach, uh, that Barney approach. And I don't have a voice like uh, Darian, uh, but I'm going to offend everyone right now with my voice because most business coaches live by this song. I love you, you love me, nobody makes any money. And they go ahead and actually they just become a drain on the economy by charging someone uh, to make them more money as a business coach. And then they end up in a disparate or dissolves uh, situation because there's someone out there that is you know, literally making you feel good. Look, making money doesn't feel good to get there. You know, the actual money itself will feel good if you shop for the right things with the right reasons uh, to, to shop. Uh, but making money itself should uh, feel good if you make the money. It feels terrible if you don't make the money or if you're spending money not to make money. So I have, you know, one goal in mind when I coach someone, it's quantitative value. You know, I want to make sure that, you know, I am a profit center for everyone that I work with, uh, you know, and to that point, there's no reason not to guarantee that. That's why, you know, when I coach and blessed to have a you know huge wait list now, I guarantee profitability. I, I know there's going to be subjective value. I know I'm going to make you feel good. I know you're going to love me and I'm going to love you because that's my intention is to seek the life, the love and the lessons in everyone. Uh, but if you're a business coach and you're not making somebody money, uh, then you're not a business coach. You're a life coach or some other type of coach. 
Uh, you know, it's also very important, Jake, uh, that you understand as a business coach, not only are you making money, but there's a difference between mentoring, coaching, and teaching. And that some coaches have all three aspects where they have the situational knowledge experience in order to give you what they have. That's a mentor to be able to share their experience and directions of, of where they're at. A coach, though, is someone that brings the best out of you. A coach may not be able to give you directions to get to where they are, or you may not want to be where they are. How many in sports, especially because that's one of my backgrounds, you know, how many coaches, you know, of LeBron James and Steph Curry uh, can give them directions to get to where they are? They don't do that at all. There's no way that anybody that coaches those two guys are in a better position than those two guys. But what those coaches do, they're not mentors. They bring the best out of LeBron. They bring the best out of Steph. And they do that and are able and capable of the third component, which is teaching. They're able to transcode or to be able to communicate effectively what they have learned in order to motivate and inspire and aspire people to clear their interference and allow them through either mentorship, coaching and teaching to make money as a business coach or whatever the objectives are as some sort of other coach. Uh, thanks so much, Jake, for that question. Who's up next? Yes, Dave, and there's a difference between mentoring, coaching, and teaching. Thank you for that line. Next up, we've got a question here on Clubhouse from Susan Young. So, Susan, if you can please unmute yourself and welcome to the Clubhouse. Hi, David. Thank you very much for taking my call. My question to you is, you talk a lot about pursuing, enjoying pursuing your potential. And... Um, when I went to school, I went to school for accounting. I hated it. I was a terrible accountant, kept getting fired from jobs. And even when I worked for companies, nobody was interested in what I was capable of doing. It was like, here's your job plan. Here's your credentials. I don't care what you want to do. It's just these are your credentials. I couldn't get another job in anything unless I got new credentials or became an entrepreneur. So, so when you talk about you know, pursuing your potential. And now I created a course to help people do exactly what I wish someone had taught me to really understand what my potential was, what my abilities were, which to me, I love interviewing people. I love drawing people out. I didn't have an opportunity as an accountant. So my question to you is, even when I'm marketing my course do i market it only to people who are entrepreneurs who have control because when you work for somebody else they don't care about your potential they care about filling a job plan they care about filling a role they don't care about allowing you at least in my experience to pursue your potential so that's my question i love it well first let's distinguish uh between potential and loving what you do or learning to love what you do. So potential exists within our quantum being, in our genetics and energetics. And potential, uh, for example, for me, I have a great natural love in my quantum being for the sport of football. Now, I wasn't born into a potential that was that great. In fact, people ask me, you know, tell me about the closest you've come to reaching your potential and it was in football, right? I was an average division three college football player. Uh, but according to my inheritance, the genetic and energetic inheritance of my potential, that's the closest 
that I came to reaching it. And the reason was, is that from, and it was easy for me, but from the time I was five years old, I enjoyed the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of that potential of being an average division three college football player. Now, what we also have to decipher here is learning to love what we do. See, there's love in everything, whether you're an accountant or a coach or a speaker or an author, and people confuse their potential with the ability on the spectrum of enjoying their ability to learn to love, enjoy that consistent, persistent pursuit of whatever your task or activity is and the potential that you have in order to perform that task or activity. And so I work backwards and teach people to number one, decipher, is this something that I want to learn to love to do like accounting? Is this something that I naturally love to do? And the analogy I use towards that is food that we all could walk down an aisle at a food court and go through each of the different you know, restaurants uh, or stands that exist there. And half of us might look at, you know, the, the taco shop and say, oh, that looks so good. And the other half would be like, oh, I hate that. And go to the hot dog place, the same thing, and go to the steak sandwich place, the same thing, and the sushi place, and the Mongolian barbecue place, et cetera. Well, we all have different quantum loves. And it does not mean that you couldn't learn to love it. In fact, a lot of times we don't even know what it tastes like. It's just natural that it looks bad. It makes us feel as if yucky. I don't want to taste it. But meanwhile, if we take the energy and time to taste it, we may learn to love it. And, you know, that happens all the time when I travel. One of my favorite things that I learned in traveling was trying things and going ahead and overcoming my inherent natural love for things to go ahead and try to learn to love things. Now, when we make the decision, okay, is it worth my time, effort, emotion, value in order to learn to love this person, this place, this food, this activity? Is it worth it or not? The only way we can do that is by knowing our daily practices, our what, our who, our how, our now, and applying our why. Which, by the way, I've said this like six times there. Now, if anyone wants the daily practices or my book, ebook, audio book, I will sign a book, pay for it, pay for shipping. Just go ahead and reach out to me. My info's in my bio. David at dmeltzer.com is my email. I will send everything to you for free, but it's essential imperative that you don't confuse potential with learning to love what you do. And because we all have different potentials and it doesn't mean whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur that you cannot pursue your potential while you're learning to love an activity you get paid for. I'm going to repeat that because this is a paradigm shift for a lot of people. You can pursue your potential in any activity. The question is, do you want to take the time, value, emotion, et cetera, in order to effectuate learning to love an activity that you get paid for an activity you don't get paid for? They are disparate and separate from one another. And so we need to take inventory of the what, the who, the how, the now, and apply our why to one, distinguish what our potentials are. And two, is it worth the time, value, emotion? Because if we don't have a huge potential, for example, my first game in college football, you know, I got ran over and I was lying on my back thinking, you know, my mom's advice, doctor, lawyer, or failure. I'm lying on my back after Christian Okoye, uh, who was later known as the Nigerian nightmare, the FC player of the year, the next year, gave me a size 13 autograph by stepping on me after he ran me over. I sat there thinking, 
maybe it's not worth the time, emotion, value, et cetera, to pursue my potential as a football player. Maybe I should shift some of my attention. Now, I didn't quit football, right? I still enjoyed the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential as an average division three football player in college, but I started to pay more attention and give uh, more intention to some of the potentials that would reward me greater, like my academic capability, my emotional intelligence, my adaptable intelligence. And so what I want everyone to think about is one, what potentials do I want to pursue? And two, is it worth the time to learn to love it, to enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of that potential in which I choose that would have the best return on the investment of that enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit. Hopefully that made sense. I got a little bit fired up, but I'm certainly something that has changed my life by understanding the distinguishment between potential and learning to love what we do. Thank you. Yeah, it, it all stems from knowing what you want personally, what you want experientially, what you want to receive that day and what you want to give that day. Uh, not being afraid of being a hypocrite and changing your mind and telling people that you want something different personally, you want something different experientially, you want something different uh, receiving and giving wise. See, when you do it every day, all the changes that occur are evolutionary, not revolutionary. All the changes uh, are subtle, not drastic. And that only people that haven't seen you in a long time and have a snapshot of who you are from 10, 20, 30 years ago would even consider you as changing your mind. But if you're taking inventory of what you want personally every day, what you want experientially every day, what you want to give and receive every day, you then can determine who you can help and who can help you. Utilizing that, it's easy to get the how done because you can prioritize what's most important to you. If you're not taking inventory of what you want, personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise, it's impossible to prioritize. Impossible. So what do we do when we don't prioritize? We procrastinate. We have all this energy. And the worst part of procrastination is that energy has to go somewhere. And so where does it go? It goes to creating resistance, void, shortages, and obstacles. It goes to manifesting what we don't want, what other people want for us, and what's missing in our lives because we don't know how to prioritize. You got to prioritize. You have to have the daily habit of understanding what I want today and then utilizing one, the law of, of gravity to say, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm at the right place at the perfect time. I am now ready to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential by utilizing the law of Goya, getting off my ass and making it happen, creating momentum, lowering the bar, getting the activities that I want to get paid for, the getting activities I want to not get paid for, and my sleep with all of these in context. Why? So I can utilize the law of attraction and allowance by clearing the way, clearing the interference by the law of gravity and the law of Goya. This is how you get it done. You have to, if you're not prioritizing, you're not maximizing your energetic and genetic being. You're not maximizing the activity you get paid for, the activity you don't get paid for. You're not expanding, growing and accelerating and compounding your interest in life by paying attention to and giving intention to the coincidences that you want. You are minimizing your faith 
In order to access the omniscient, all-powerful, and all-knowing, you have to know your what personally, experientially giving and receiving and prioritized by those four things. Does that sound fair? It, it sure does. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, if that sounds fair to everybody, feel free to flash your mics. Uh, let's flash your mics, everybody. Thank you so much for joining this morning. It's been an incredible hour so far. For 50 minutes, we still got nine minutes to go. Thank you so much, everyone. All right, Dave, we've got a question here on Clubhouse from the one and only Dr. Connor Hogan. Dr. Connor, if you can please unmute yourself and feel free to ask your question. Hey, Jake. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to always listen to Dave. And um, yeah, I just want to say first off before I ask the question, you might be a, might have been a Division Three average player, but I think it's really, really important that you admitted that perhaps in yourself to be able to kind of twist and turn that corner because there's so many people with ego, not just in sport, but in the world of, you mentioned business, like the business coach thing. I, I think that was brilliant from your experience to say that. So thank you so much for that. Now, my, my thinking here is on the, the world of work. Um, sorry, you might have been a, a you might have been that, but you're also an all-star in the world of business. What I want to say as well, Dave. Thank um, you. Yeah. My, my question here is on the world of work, right? Because I know you're, you're fascinated with this and your expertise stretched to this as well. And I'm, I'm just wondering with all that's going on, and obviously there's going to be a hybrid way of working for a lot of people around the world, or at least remotely working from home or whatever else. Well, how do you think the socialization, and not only the socialization of people, but also the business and companies that provide social entertainment and socialization, how do you think that will be affected around the world? Yeah, uh, thank, thank you very much, Doctor. And I appreciate you always... Uh, Complimenting me, uh, it means a lot um, coming from you, especially. But first of all, I hate the word work. <laughs> I, I believe an activity you get paid for an activity you don't get paid for. And socialization, number one, is determined on the engagement of our community, whether it be a community of people that have similar and collaborative interest in activity that we get paid for or activity that we don't get paid for. Uh, even in the context of a corporate organization, of an entity, of a business, uh, that when we collaborate, we want to collaborate together in a coordinated movement that is aligned with the activity we get paid for, but also with the activity we don't get paid for. And this is where what you call that socialization occurs. This is where that community happens. And I think, you know, within the hybrid mode of in-person and remote, that we have a better opportunity to socialize uh, because we have an amplification and a modification that occurs that did not exist when everybody was forced to come sit in a cubby hole from nine to five. That we now have the ability to have activity we don't get paid for shared with activity we do get paid for share. Whether it's the fantasy, you know, sports league that we have within uh, the organization, or the ability to have more, uh, you know, masterminds and workshops and speeches and and content that can be shared individually or as a group. All of these things will create, or what I call, lessen the interference between us and our community. And so I believe that the socialization is in a transformation right now because uh, the elite executive business owners, the elite executive business leaders are transforming into understanding one, hey, there's huge benefit to remote and two, all right, how do we deal with all the huge benefits of, of being remote? And when they figure out those leaders, how to maximize the extraordinary opportunity that exists by having a hybrid of being able to meet in person less, 
but share virtually more, we're going to see a great bond that's created within organizations, a great efficiency and effectiveness and statistical success because people will be more engaged when they have a collaborative coordinated movement between the community in the activity that they get paid for and also the activity they don't get paid for. Thank you so much for that great question. I hope that answered it. Sure did. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much. All right, Jake, I'm going to take a question online uh, because it means something to me. Uh, it says, advice for dealing with the loss of a loved one. <clears throat> Yesterday, I had one of my college buddies pass away, uh, a great man, Trevor Moad. Uh, Trevor is one of the great mindset coaches, uh, Russell Wilson's coach. He coached Warren Moon. Uh, he coached me. And uh, what he coached and what he taught me in my life uh, and has allowed me uh, to plant seeds under other trees that, as Dennis Waitley says, I may never sit under, is neutrality. Uh, and so I want to give a big shout out to my friend who passed away. He had cancer, struggled for two years quietly and uh, didn't really share with people what he was going through, uh, but understanding peace. Uh, you know, I did not understand until I met Trevor Moad and worked with Trevor Moad uh, how important neutrality is. The entire concept of stopping and dropping and rolling was based off of what I learned from Trevor Moad. Uh, to identify that which creates resistance. Identify the ego-based consciousness that exists, the need to be right, offended, superior, inferior, the right uh, need to be anxious, frustrated, angry, worried, guilty, resentful, to celebrate too much, to be overjoyous, that can create resistance. But instead, when we have any sort of separation, any sort of separation, that we do not have to resist it, fight it, go over it, under it, through it. We don't have to oversell it, back and sell it, lie to it, manipulate or cheat it. You simply got to stop. And in honor of Trevor Moad, every single day, when my mind and my body and soul are on fire in an ego-based consciousness, when I have those fear, those primal fears of my ego, the need to fight, the need to flee, the need to feed, the need to exist, to fornicate, the need to be, when I have any of those needs that separate me, I simply remind myself my mind, my body, my soul is on fire. And Trevor taught me just simply stop and breathe. Breathe through my nose and out through my mouth get to center, to neutrality, know where my baseline is, to celebrate just enough and to motivate myself by my failures, mistakes, and setbacks, to utilize pain as an indicator, and that's it. Not as a stop sign, not as a fight, a flee, a feed, or a fornicate, not as a primal fear when that pain and struggle comes, but simply as an indicator that it's time to move to neutrality and remind ourselves, remember, and recollect ourselves to the higher self, to the higher existence, to the great omniscient, powerful source of energy and light and love and lessons that we all are connected to and through, that we should all appreciate and not take for granted that gift of breath, not take for granted what other people are wishing for their lives, to know and understand neutrality and centrality, to roll in the directions to know your what, who can I help and who can help me, 
to understand how am I going to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of my uh, uh, potential within the context of my own energetic and genetic inheritance, my own potential, and live my life by applying my why. Live my life by applying my why. I want to give a big shout out. May he rest in peace. I used to call him my peace coach. So I know he's in peace. And uh, how I deal with the loss of a loved one is to grieve, to give myself minutes and moments to honor by living my life with Trevor Moad in me, by carrying on and empowering others to empower others, the great idea of neutrality, centrality, and peace. May you all live with peace at 7 a.m. Pacific time. This was the hour of power, the breakfast of champions. Uh, next week, we will talk about entrepreneurship. Uh, anyone that wants to apply for our third season of Two Minute Drill on Bloomberg and Amazon, just go ahead, email me, david at dmelzer.com. We got $50,000 every episode of Cash and Prizes for everyone. Uh, we look forward, if anyone wants to, guides that we talked about the daily practice open-ended questions whatever it is my book ebook audiobook email me david at dmelzer.com thank you so much jake why don't you close out the room and hand it off i love you all may you be kind to your future self and do good deeds